Um, it's good to be with you today. I want to make uh, just a little quick encouragement and an announcement uh, before we get started. Um, at 9 o'clock here, we have a couple of Bible st studies that are going on, a couple of adult classes that are happening that we want to encourage you to be a part of. Um, uh, part of our goal as a church is not just for us to come and consume and attend, but we want to really dig into what's going on. We want to be able to share with each other. We want to be able to talk with each other. We want to dig into the scripture. We want to hear from each other. That's part of what this series has been about is hopefully we're hearing from our brothers and sisters in Christ and seeing God in a whole new way. So uh, we'd like to encourage you, if you would, uh, if you haven't been a part of a class here, uh, 9 o'clock Bible study, uh, there are two of them that are going on right now. One of them, uh, Ron Shade and Chad Arms are teaching together, and I believe that was on 1 Corinthians, and it's called You Think Your Church is a Mess. I like that. Uh, there's there's going to be some good stuff that will be coming out of that. And then Chad Warner teaches a class that right now is about uh, the spiritual kingdom. And uh, so we just want to encourage you in that. We would love to see you in there. We think that Bible study with one another is very beneficial for us, uh, learning and becoming more like Christ. So hope you'll do that. Uh, in addition to that, I wanted to mention that there are, uh, we're, we have a tradition here, it's been a custom that, that we pray for things outside of this church about the kingdom that's moving here in Kerrville. And so uh, I want to be able to do that again today. I want to uh, mention something to you that I found out about that you may know about um, is the downtown Christmas walk, the prayer walk that happens on December 6th uh, that will be coming up here in just a couple of weeks. Uh, it starts at Notre Dame Church, and then it goes through uh, St. Peter's, and then the First Assembly of God, and the First Presbyterian, and the First Baptist, and all the firsts. So um, uh, it's an opportunity to gather together. You have people from all over the city who walk together. Uh, they get to spend some time singing some songs that have to do with Christ's birth and uh, hear a short lesson. And the name of Christ is being preached. And so we're thankful for that. And uh, we're happy about that. So if we can, let's stop for a minute and uh, let's pray about that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, the love that you have for us. We thank you for the love that you have for the world. Lord, we thank you for the love that you have for this city. And God, more than anything, what we want to do is we want to show the love of Christ to this place. We want uh, your kingdom to come here in this place. We want um, those that are suffering uh, to be relieved through your word. Um, through your healing, we want those who don't know you uh, to come to know you. We want those who do know you to sing your praises and to live out uh, your justice and your peace here in this place. And so, Lord, we ask that you would uh, move in this city uh, to bring people to better know you, that this may be a place uh, that people see as a shining example of what the kingdom of God can look like. Lord, we ask that you would be with the uh, Christmas walk that's happening and, and those churches that have opened their doors uh, to share with the rest of, of this city, uh, the Notre Dame Church, St. Peter's, uh, First Assembly of God, First Presbyterian Church, and the First Baptist Church. Lord, we pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ will be preached on these nights. And because of that, that there may be some that wander in who don't yet know you and may decide that this is where they belong and this is who their father is and they want to come home. And so, Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit move powerfully that time, that you would keep people safe as they walk the streets, and that that would be a time uh, that honors you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, we have been doing a series through Psalm 107. And if you haven't been with us before, I'll give you just a quick review. Psalm 107 is this call 
for people who are redeemed by God to come and share their story. That's the way that it talks. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That's us. Those of us that have been redeemed, those of us that have been saved, those of us who can say, I used to be this way, but then through what the word God and through his son Jesus Christ has done to me, now I'm a different way. And the encouragement is then you need to say so. You need to tell this story. And hopefully if you've been here over the last few weeks and you've heard some of the stories that have been shared, you understand why. It's a powerful thing. The stories that we have of what God has done in us is a powerful, powerful thing. There's four verses in uh, Psalm 107. It's, like, it's, it's a psalm, and there's four verses. And each one of them have uh, this, this pattern. And the pattern is there were some who suffered this way, and this was their distress. And then they called out to God, and then God heard their cries, and then he redeemed them, so give him thanks. And it's this great pattern that goes over and over again. And so this is what we've been going through for the last several weeks, and we're going to continue today. In particular, if you saw what was uh, read here earlier, this first verse of the psalm, it talks about people who wander, not wonder, but wander. They wander around. It's a desert wasteland. They're looking for a place to settle. And as they wander and they look for this, they're hungry and they're thirsty. And their soul starts to ebb away. It starts to shrink. And then they called out to God, and he led them to this place. What we're going to talk about today is people who wander, looking for a place to settle. And it talks in there about a city, but it's really not about a city. It's about finding a home. And there's this desire that we all have to find home and where home is. And that's more than just four walls and a roof. It's more than just a piece of land, and it's more than just a city. It's this place that is our home. It's this place of safety. And it's a place where you go for rest. It's your home base. It's where there is no more wandering around. But even more than that, home is this place where you realize, this is where I belong. I have belonging here. And you need to know, belonging is one of the most basic human needs that we have. Every human being deep inside has this desire to belong somewhere, to belong to something, to belong to someone. Where do I belong and who do I belong to? Where am I known? Where am I wanted? Where do I have worth? Where do I have a name where people know my name? It's about my identity. My identity is so wrapped up in the idea of where's my home and to whom and where do I belong. And without these things, you see what happens in Psalm 107. Your soul hungers and your soul thirsts. And it can't be quenched in any way without that. And your soul will begin to waste away. Some of you know what it's like to go without a home. Some of you know how desperate it is to not have a place to belong, to not have a name. And let me tell you, there is damage that comes with that. There's damage to your psyche, there's damage physically, emotionally, and there's damage to your soul to not have home, to not have this place where I belong. And you need to know, if it continues on for years and years and for decades and decades and even generations and generations, the damage is so great that it is very difficult to undo. 
For those of you that are counselors, maybe psychologists, and have spent time working with people, you know what can happen to somebody who has this where I don't know where I belong, I don't know where my home is, I haven't had this place of safety, I haven't had this place of security. You know what can be done there and how difficult it is to undo that damage. God's people know that feeling. You know, your first place to go with Psalm 107 when you hear this is about the Israelites as they wandered in the desert between being freed from Egypt and to the promised land. And that's true. They wandered during that time. They did have the presence of God. But I'll tell you, Psalm 107, we don't know exactly when it's written. It it doesn't have a, a date attached to it. But many believe that it was written more about the time of the exiles that were returning from Babylon. And if you don't know that story, I want to tell you. You have Israel that's its own country, and it's supposed to be this promised land and the people of God. And a foreign power came in, and it conquered the land. And it didn't just conquer the land, but one of the things it did was it grabbed a bunch of people, and it took them away, removed them from this place, and it took them to their own country of Babylon, this godless place, filled with all kinds of perversions and sin, violence. So you had God's people that were taken away from their home They had their name taken away from them, and they were given a Babylonian name. They were made to serve the Babylonian king and the Babylonian people. They were made to serve the Babylonian god. They were forced in that way. They had every bit of their identity, and it was stripped away from them, taken completely away. You have no home. You have no name. You have no people. You have no place where you belong. And this went on for decades and decades and decades and generations. You had a defeated people that lived in a place where they were constantly told, this is not your home, you don't belong here, you're not one of us, but you can't go back to where you were. And so they were stripped of this. And not having a place to belong for that long, not having a home, not having a name for that long does serious damage because what happens is eventually when you're told that for years and years and years, you start to believe it. It starts to be your reality, and it starts to become your identity, and that's what can happen to human beings. And so you have these people that were gone for so long, but then, but then they start to get led back. After so many years of not knowing who you are, of not belonging, it leads to this self-hatred that you have because not belonging for so long eventually makes you question yourself and to go it must be me I'm the common denominator I must not be worthy of love I must not be worthy of a place I am the thing that is unworthy and I'm the thing that is lacking I'm abandoned I'm desolate but then then the Lord he calls to redeem them and to those people the writer of Isaiah writes these words as, he, as they realize that God is going to be bringing them back. This is Isaiah 62, 1 through 5. For the sake of Zion, I will not be silent. For the sake of Jerusalem, I will not be quiet. Until her vindication shines brightly and her deliverance burns like a torch. Nations will see your vindication and all kings your splendor. You will be called by a new name, that the Lord himself will give you. You will be a majestic crown in the hand of the Lord, a royal turban in the hand of your God. You will no longer be called abandoned, and your land will no longer be called desolate. 
Indeed, you will now be called, my delight is in her, and your land will be called married. For the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married to him. As a young man marries a young woman, so your sons will marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over a bride, so your God will rejoice over you. For God's people who wandered for so long without a home and had been told over and over again, you have no place, you have no name, you don't belong anywhere, finally what happens is Isaiah writes and says, this is what the Lord says as you come home. God says, I will find you and I'm going to lead you back home. I'm going to lead you to the place where you belong. And I, the Lord himself, I will give you a new name. It's a name spoken by the Lord that will be eternal, that he will give you. I'll show you where you belong, and I'll show you who you belong to. And not only that, I'm going to do this publicly. One of the things that it says is, I will give you vindication among other people. You need to know what that is, is to go, I'm going to take you, and I'm going to put you back in the place where you belong, and people are going to see it, and they're going to know you have a place. You have a place at the table. You have a land. You have someone who knows you. You have someone who desires you. As a matter of fact, he even says, I'm going to adorn myself with you. I'm going to wear you like you're a jewel. Imagine the Lord saying that. I'm going to take you and I'm going to wear you as a jewel on my head so that others will see this is my royalty. This is who belongs to me. And I'll delight in you. Not just that you're okay, not just that I'm going to love you no matter how big of a mess you are, but I delight in you. I know one of the best things that my father ever did for me was growing up, he would tell me, I love you, and I would say, I love you too. And he'd go, yeah, but you know what? I like you too. And that was a big deal, right? Because when you were a teenage boy, there was a lot of times I didn't deserve to be liked in any way. I wasn't acting very likable. But for him to say that moved beyond the idea of, I just love you because it's my job. It turned into, I actually like you, and I take delight in you. And that's what the Lord says with this. And he uses this language about being married, about the land being married, and how it's going to be like you're being married. And he talks to us, his people, like we're a bride. And the reason for that is because he wants you to understand what it is for him to desire us to belong to him. I've done a lot of weddings. And I don't know about you, but I know that a lot of times when I'm standing up here at the front and the doors open at the back, all heads turn towards the bride. I watch the groom. I'm with the groom, and I always watch the groom because I want to see that reaction. That's the reminder to me of our Savior and the way that he looks at us. I remember doing one with a, with a Marine one time, and he was this Marine, and he's dressed in his, his dress uniform. He looks sharp. Man, he's standing up there, and he's tough, and he's strong. And I know the time that he had served overseas, and he's standing right here, and the door opened, and he saw his bride for the first time. And I, for, that's, the, that's the one time I've actually heard somebody, somebody's breath catch. I actually heard him go, <gasps> like that, at seeing his bride. Because that's the reaction of desire. And I don't just mean sexually. I mean the action of desire to belong. I want her to belong to me. And that's what it means to belong. When God says, I want you to belong to me, it's not about ownership. What it's about is a relationship to say, we belong to each other. 
comes out of like the book Song of Solomon when he's talking about his beloved and he said, my beloved is mine and I am his. That's what our relationship will be like, this place where God claims us as his and we get to claim him as ours. We belong to each other. A home and a name given to us by God. That is what God has done for every one of us that belong to him. That's what he's done. That's our story. That's what we share. That's what we tell. And we got somebody today that I want to tell you her story about this. And I want her to share with you what it's like to find a home in Christ. So I'm going to ask, if you would, uh, Krisha, Albie, would you come up here and join me? And we have a testimony from her that I'd like for you to hear. you like the left side? I'm sorry. <laughs> if you want the left side, you can have the left side. You can have whatever you want. Thank you for coming up here and being willing to tell your story. You okay? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <I'm good. laughs> okay. I know it's kind of, it can be a little nervous, but you don't need to be nervous. All of these people love you and you have a great story to tell. So first of all, would you introduce yourself and tell us uh, who's in your family? About your little one, and tell us how long you've been here. Hi, my name's Krisha. Can you hear me? Mm -hmm. Okay. My name's Krisha. I've been at KCC for about I've been at KCC <laughs> for about three years, and at Arms of Hope for three years, the same amount of time. And I have a baby boy, Dax. He's not really a baby anymore. He's four, but he's amazing, and you should get to know him because he's worth it. Okay, great. That's true. Um, if you would, uh, you know, Chris uh, and I have been talking for a long time. We've been praying together, talking about what this day will be like and how we can honor God. But to start with, Chris, uh, would you kind of tell the story of your childhood? Yes. Okay, guys, I'm nervous. Be with okay. me. Um, so I was born to an alcoholic, party-going mother who she just never wanted to be a mom. So I got placed in the foster system when I was two with my three siblings. And um, foster care was not nice to me. I was sexually abused, mentally abused, physically abused. I was chained up, beaten. Um, so I was with a family who the dad was a preacher and he would lock me, to handcuff me to my bed each night so I wouldn't get out of bed. And if I peed the bed, because I was only four, he would beat me. And the next family I went to, I was sexually abused by um, another sibling of mine. And I was uh, blamed for that for a very long time, that it was my fault that happened to me. And then I spent a summer with four different foster families, and four foster families in three months is a little much, even for me. And um, that summer I made my own birthday cake because nobody even knew that I was turning 11. And the next family who became my permanent family, they 
um, they're very strict and they showed very conditional love, which means that no matter how much I strive to be a perfect daughter, to follow their rules, to do everything they wanted me to, their rules would change, their standards would get higher, and I would never be able to, to meet those standards. But I tried for a long time. I tried till I was 24, and they told me and my sister they should have never adopted us, that they never loved us, and and I was done with that family, and I turned to drugs, and I turned to alcohol, and I turned to men to kind of fill the void of a family. But you can't expect one man or one person to be your everything, and that's what I was expecting out of these boyfriend after boyfriends, and, and those relationships all fell through, and I was lost just looking for home. Mm. I think you mentioned at one point, too, and, and just that devastated upbringing. Um, you mentioned to me at one time that there was another family that said they were going to adopt you, and then that fell through at the last minute, right? Yeah, um, I, I believe what it was was they were going to adopt you, they moved to a place, and then they decided to get divorced. And how did you find that out? Okay, so my, the name I was born with was Lucretia Marie Rodriguez. And when I was 10, I was going to be adopted by a family. And my name legally changed to um, Lucretia Marie Bell. And I was very excited. I was going to get adopted. With three, My three siblings were now with me at that time. And then we moved to Texas. We were living in South Dakota. And the family went through a divorce. And the second to last day of fifth grade, I get a call from the office. And it's my caseworker. And she has two big black trash bags full of me and my sister's stuff. And she said they changed their mind. And, and you're going to come with us now. And I never got to say goodbye to that family. And I never got to see those siblings who I'd spent four years with again. And um, it was very hard. Yeah. It was heartbreaking. Yeah. So you, you've even had the idea of home being held out in front of you and then snatched away and, and family and a place and, and a name and, uh, and taken from you. You mentioned there that um, you turn to a, a lot of ways to self-medicate, which I think everybody here would understand uh, with the pain that you had that, that uh, you began to medicate yourself with uh, illicit drugs and that sort of thing. Uh, and you kind of dove deeper and deeper into that. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened uh, during that time? Um, so I started using drugs, any drugs, all the drugs, and alcohol, and, um, I was managing for a little bit, for a couple years, and then all of a sudden I wasn't, and I got a DUI and lost my car, and that wasn't a big deal at the time, but then I lost my apartment, I lost all of my belongings, I lost the relationship I had with my parents and with my brother Seth and it just at the time wasn't a big deal and then I moved to Comfort where my brother had offered refuge in his house and and I fell even deeper because I didn't have a job nothing was holding me back anymore and I ended up homeless and um, 
It wasn't really that big of a deal because I was so into my addiction that I was homeless and I had nothing to my name. I remember a big, a big trigger for me was that I didn't have keys because I didn't have keys to anything. I didn't have an apartment. I didn't have a car. So why would I need keys? And um, then in July, <laughs> I found out I was pregnant with my son. I had stolen a pregnancy test from the dollar store and and I just, I was pregnant, homeless, living in the back of somebody's house in a tent. And I knew things had to change. Mm. Hard things, I know. So during this time, what was your view of God? Uh, believe, not believe, believe, but this is who I thought he was. What, what, what sort of view did you have of God at all during that time, if at all? Um, well, I was in a very strict religion and a very judgmental religion, and I knew that there was a God, but I didn't like him much. He was, um, if someone could doll out love and take it away, just like my foster parents had did, if they could, if he could only love you if you followed certain rules, um, that's the only love I grew up knowing, so that's the love I thought that God had for me. I was mad at him, I was angry, I was kind of scared because, you know, when you're told you misbehave in any sort of way, you're going to hell, it kind of terrifies you. And that's just the kind of relationship I had with him was not a relationship. It was just um, kind of pretending he didn't exist so I didn't feel bad about myself. How do you think that he would have felt about you during that time? I don't think he thought much of me at that time. Um, you know, like when you move on from a family, it's like, I always think that I have that trouble today that people forget me. I'm a very forgettable person. And so I think at that time, I just thought he, he kind of forgot about me. He's got so many other people. He's got the plants and the trees. You know, I'm nothing to him. I'm just not even anything. You mentioned to me, though, that you believe that he loved Dex. Yes. Um, <laughs> so when I had Dax... Um, I started loving him, and he became my world, and I could see how, even though he didn't have any feelings for me, he must love this little baby, you know, and I thought maybe some of that love he was showing to Dax, it could, like, rub off on me, you know, because I'm the mom, um, and that's what I was kind of hoping, you know, like, hey, I helped make him, maybe you could help me. <laughs> yeah. So, as I recall, you told me that you, you broke up with the boyfriend, you and Dax ended up in Abilene. Mm -hmm. Tell me what happened there. Okay, so I was in Abilene. Um, my son Dax was six months old, and um, I was living in temporary housing at the time, and there was a church that was just across the street, and I didn't have a job, so I... I was like, okay, why don't I just go to church every Sunday? It'll be fine. And the church is called Gateway. And it's one of those that have the bands and the lights and the flashing stuff. And I remember for the first three months I was there, while the band played their music, I just was sobbing. And I was a hot mess. And, um, you know, I would just be there crying and, and praying to the Lord, please help me. I don't know what I'm doing. I was freshly clean probably only a couple months by that time and I didn't know where to go from from where I was 
And I just remember every song that came on was just speaking directly to my soul. And, um, <laughs> Is that when you started kind of crying out to God during that time to maybe have a relationship with, to save you? I mean, was there, what was, what, how did your relationship change with God about that time? Okay. Um, I'm not proud of this, but I, I tested God a lot during that time. You know, he would come through for me on, on something, and then I go back to him. I'm like, okay, I guess you were right, but what about this? What do I do about this? Where do I go? Um, you know, I, I wasn't a very good mom to Dax in the beginning, and I wanted to become a mom I, I would be proud of to have. And, you know, I would question all my parenting decisions. I would question just even little decisions. And, you know, I kind of test God, and I'd be like, if this is what's right for me, then you need to give me a sign. You need to tell me. And he would. And I'd be like, okay, but was that really you? Mm-hmm. And, and it just continued like that. And um, we just started building this, this relationship. And it was, it was slow going on my side. But he's so patient. Mm-hmm. He's so patient. He's so gentle <laughs> and so nurturing and loving. And, I mean, if that was me, I would have given up on me. But, but that's not who our God is. Yeah. You mentioned that um, he, how patient and gentle he was, and he was bringing peace to your soul as you were anxious about so many choices, always about what's next and where you're going to be going next and all of that and about how patient he was. Um, this is something I'm, I'm going to quote back to you because you said this to me. Uh, while I was teaching Dax how to walk and to trust me, God was teaching me how to walk with him and to trust him. So you were being taught how to walk at the same time you're trying to teach Dax how to be your child, right? God's teaching you uh, how to be his child. Yeah. Um, There's a story that you had of of Dax walking, and you said you had no one to share that with. Yeah. Okay, so during that time, I um, was a single mom, freshly single, but single nonetheless. And um, so Daxie was going to be two, no, he was going to be one in about two or three days, and, and he started getting up, and he was walking on his own, and I was so excited for my little man, <laughs> and I had no one to share it with. You know, when happy moments occur, you want to turn to someone and share it with them. I didn't have anybody to share it with, so I just looked straight up at my roof, and I said, God, he is walking. <laughs> Can you believe it? Look at this guy go. And um, there's been many moments like that for me where I just, I just shout it out to him. I'm sure he already knows, but I love sharing it anyways with him. Uh, well, and how much joy you took in Dax, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and what he was doing and watching him do that, um, I think says a lot. So tell me about that. What was your view of God then? How was it changing? And how do you think he saw you then? And how did that change? So... Um, my love for Dax wasn't immediate. I kind of had to learn how to love him because when you haven't had love in your life and then you're gifted with a child, I feel like that love can be extremely overwhelming and you don't know what to do with your feelings. And so the Lord was gracious enough to, to give me time to really open my heart fully to my son. And as I found joy in my son, I feel like I was able to see the joy that the Lord shared with me. 
as I was able to, to look at my son and truly delight in him and really embrace everything he is, it made me realize that that's how the Lord looks at me. He looks mm -hmm. at me like that. He looks at my son like that. He looks at the whole world like that. Yeah. And it started changing who I was inside. Mm -hmm. Because if God loves me that much, and he loves my son that much, and he loves you that much, and you, then why can't I love everybody that much? Mm -hmm. Amazing. Well, so you started turning to Christ, but you were still holding on to some things from the past mm -hmm. you mentioned. Still kind of hanging on to the boyfriend. Maybe he was in, he was out, and all of these sort of things. What happened that kind of changed that? Okay, so this is one of those arguments I've had with God. He, I, Dax's dad, um, I guess we had never officially broken up. It wasn't official, so I was kind of dragging him along, even though he was in jail and I was in Abilene. But I never officially broke up with him. It wasn't... Um, it didn't seem like a, a big deal at the time, but the Lord just kept putting on my heart, you need to break up with that guy. And I'd be like, Lord, no, I don't really have a good excuse. Like, could you do me, like, could we do something else? And every couple days he would put on my heart, you need to break up with him. And I think in the back of my mind, I was, I was scared because my time living at that transitional housing was coming to a close. And so I just figured I'd have him on the back burner in case things didn't work out. And the Lord just kept telling me, you need to break up with him. And I said, fine, I'll do it. He called that night, and I broke up with him, and he was confused. And I couldn't say, well, the Lord told me to. That sounds crazy. But, um, you know, I broke up with him that night, went to bed. It was about 10. I woke up at 8 o'clock to my phone ringing, and it's Miss Ashley at Arms of Hope. And she says, can you come? And I said, yes. She said, okay, well, we're located in Medina. I said, okay. She said, do you know where Medina is? And I said, I have no idea, but I'll be there. And she said, you have to go back to school. And I was like, sounds good to me. And three days later, I was at Arms of Hope. And it was complete blind faith on my part, but it was a testament of the trust that he had that the Lord had gained for me because before there was no way I would do that. And I, I trusted him completely because of his patience, because of his love, because of his understanding of me that I was able to be like, I don't really know what's happening right now, but I know it's you and I'm going to follow you. And I've been here for three years. Did you find home? <laughs> yes. Um, you know, home isn't a place. A place is very nice. I've been homeless, so a place is awesome. But I feel like home for me is a people, and it's a, a sense of belonging. And I have that at Arms of Hope. I have that with, um, I'm going to wave to her. I have that with, Miss Jana was the first friend I ever had here, and, and she showed me what home could be. It could be inside of you. It could be... Um, all of my mom friends at Arms of Hope, the staff, my family at KCC, I love you guys so much. And his home is what Daxi and I have built together. Where he goes is my home, and where I am, I am his home. And the Lord is part of our home. He is actively member of our family. Mm. Um, you know, and for me, it just, it's such a blessing to know that 
I have home. It's inside of me. It's that feeling of belonging. And even if I wound up homeless again, I know that I would still belong because I belong to him. Hmm. Amen. Amazing story. Okay, I didn't, I didn't prep you on this one. I'm just going to ask you. What does God think about you now? I'm pretty sure he thinks I'm awesome. <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Well, and just so you know, you went back to school, and I'll tell you this. If, if I could invite the elders and their wives to come up, we're going to pray over her. But why do you do that? You did go back to school, and you found out you rock at it. Yeah, so you like graduated. I'm pretty okay. Yeah, well, not just pretty okay. They're like, there's Latin words that tell how you do, right? So I just got my associate's degree, summa cum laude, from Blinn College. And I'm a, I'm a junior at Texas Tech. I think I can do this. Go Raiders. There you go. <laughs> Good for you. So uh, you do, you have uh, you realized that through a life of people telling you things that weren't true. There are some things that are true. Uh, you are desired by God. Amen. You are his child. You do belong to him. Amen. He delights in you. You're smart. You're, you're, uh, you're beloved. And, and that's your name. That's your name. And that's who you belong to. Uh, Krisha wrote her own verse to Psalm 107. If you would, I'd like to ask you uh, to read that one, if you would. And then... Uh, We'll have the elders come up here and pray over you and their spouses here. I am no poet, but this is from the heart. Some never had a place to call home, born deserted and desolate, without hope and without love. They had no friends and no family to call their own. They wandered frightened, angry, and alone. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sought after and pursued them, for they are precious, a delight and his joy. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Through his devotion, persistence, and unending love, we can open our arms to our Father, for he is our resting place, our home. Amen. Amen. I'll let you guys pray. Let's pray. Holy Father, we are truly blessed by this testimony today. Father, the, the roles that uh, Krisha has, has played, the role you have played, the role Dax has played, and they continue to play, and you continue to play. And Lord, we're grateful, grateful, grateful that Krisha has been a listener. She has listened to your voice. She has heard you when you've spoken to her softly. And we thank you that she continues to listen. And, Father, it shows in her life. And I thank you that she is here at KCC and at Arms of Hope. And I just pray blessings over her in this life that she has turned to, that it will only turn toward you every day. We know that she loves you. We love her. We pray all this through Jesus, in the mighty name of Jesus, because of what he did for us. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Thank you, Krisha. Um, this is our story. 
This is all of our stories. Every one of us that has belonged to Jesus Christ has this story of wandering as our soul ebbed away. And then of the Lord calling us back home and giving us a new name and a new identity. I want to tell you, if you're a believer and you belong to God, don't forget this is your story. And don't forget that we have a call to say so. We tell people. And then I want to tell you, if you're here with us and you don't belong to Christ, if you haven't made that decision yet to let him call you home and to make a home for you that doesn't go away, it's a place where you have a new identity, where you have a name that's actually spoken to you. We want to tell you, we would love to tell you more about that. We would love to talk to you about what it means to be baptized into Christ when he clothes you in Christ, when you become this new person and you're given this new name, redeemed, that you're no longer deserted, you're no longer desolate, but now you are desired and you are redeemed and you're made perfect through the blood of Jesus Christ. We would love to talk to you about that. So we're going to spend some time here uh, for a few minutes in prayer. Uh, I'm going to have the elders and their spouses around, the ministers and their spouses around. If you need to go and spend some time in prayer because you're having a hard time turning loose of some names that you've had in the past that are lies and you need to be reminded of what God calls you, take some time and go pray with them. If you have some hurts that you need the help of God and healing from, then go take some time and pray with people around you. Go find somebody, pray with them. Pray at your seat. Uh, come talk to us about maybe belonging to Christ. We want to give you this opportunity while we sing a few songs. To start with, though, I'd like to ask, would you all stand, please? And if you would, I'm going to see if this is up here for you to read with me. If we could all, let's read this together out loud. Uh, hang on just a second. That's the name. I'd like the scripture. Can we pull that scripture of Isaiah 62, 11, and 12? Do we have that? There we go. If you would... Read this with me. Look, the Lord announces to the entire earth, Say to daughter Zion, Look, your deliverer comes. Look, his reward is with him, and his reward goes before him. They will be called the holy people, the ones protected by the Lord. You will be called sought after, city not abandoned.